Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, and we're back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara. I'm talking bankruptcy today with Sean Kelly of the Marcotte Law Firm uh, in Lowell, Massachusetts. Again, we are uh, pre-recorded today because I'm the real me is coaching soccer. Uh, but if you have any questions for us, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot us an email. Questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. We'll get that whether or not you're listening on uh, WCAP or WATD. We are simul. You know, we 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 have a we have shows in uh, on both the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley, Sean. So I don't know if you know that, but yeah, you'll. We'll play you next week uh, down on the South Shore. Great. Um, but okay, so we're, you know, we're talking bankruptcy today. Again, if you, if you have any questions for Sean directly, you can reach him at 978-458-1229 uh, or marcottlawfirm.com. Why don't you give out your email address? Um, I assume it's something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's my first initial last name. So S is in Sean, K-E-L-L-Y, and that's at Marcotte lawfirm.com. Marcotte is spelled M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E. All right. All right. So let's get into, um, you mentioned a few times that, that, you know, you're, you're mostly working with individuals. I, you know, I know just to reset uh, the, the most common type of, uh, of bankruptcy that folks hear about is, is the chapter 11. That's generally when, you know, like a, a publicly traded corporation is, uh, is in trouble. That's not really very common uh, for, for individuals. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about chapter seven and, and chapter 13. But, 
you've you've mentioned a few times that you know you can file as an individual or as a small business owner mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. why don't can you just can you just break down i mean I, I know a lot of folks you know can you file as as both or either or or i know a lot of folks you know sort of you know myself included runner you know where mcnamara financial services is a relatively small business i know there are right. you know folks who may you know maybe you're a a plumber and you have a, a business is that going to be two separate processes or can you file for one or the other or how, how does that work for a for a small business person yeah and, and so great question justin and the the answer to that is is yeah you'd, you'd want to file for both um in in the 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 bankruptcy court is going to make you anyways so okay let's let's put you let's let's give an average run-of-the-mill uh example which would be you you mentioned a plumber, a contractor. They'll have um, they'll their name Sean Kelly, and then they'll uh, they'll be Sean Kelly LLC, Sean Kelly Plumbing LLC. Okay, yep. and it will be Sean plus two employees. Okay, so they get involved in some financial troubles. Um, they uh, they decide to file for Chapter Seven bankruptcy because they make less than uh, seventy thousand or thirty five thousand across the past six months, right? So they file for chapter seven protections because let's say they don't have a ton of assets um, or if they do, they're either retirement accounts, life insurance, things like that. So they've filed for chapter seven protection. Well, what happens to the, uh, the corporation? Um, the short is, is that the, the, the bankruptcy court is going to presume that, um, uh, that, that you get to close the LLC too. Right. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is because the, the business can't, even though it's its own entity, it's just, it's an asset of the owner. Um, so if it has any value, the trustee's going to grab it anyways. Now, usually if you have like a mom and pop plumbing shop, it, it has no value outside of, you know, the person who's operating in it. Right. Right. Or it has very little value. You know, maybe it has a client list or something, which is only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for a client list, which isn't much. Right. So, um, so sometimes what we'll suggest is if, if the, if they have debts, if they have credit card debts, let's say they've taken out credit cards that aren't individually in their name. Um, or if they've, um, They've just put other things in the name of the business. So what we'll do is we'll file for both of them. Um, and the filing for the chapter seven for a business is far easier, right? Um, because basically what it does is it just liquidates everything. So if the company owns a hundred computers, uh, the trustee grabs a hundred computers and sells them to satisfy the debts of uh, the business. You know, okay. that's it. There's no, there's no like homestead protections or anything like that. But the benefit to doing that is, is it just makes it a lot cleaner. Um, you know, if you're starting over, um, you know, maybe you, it doesn't mean you can't be a plumber anymore. It just means that you're going to have to operate under a different name, either a DBA or start a new LLC or something like that. Um, Cause whatever the assets of the company are, are, are going to be grabbed. Um, so in the other benefit to that is, is oftentimes people, people will get sued. Um, so let's say Sean Kelly plumbing gets sued. Um, they then the, whoever is suing me gets a judgment against the corporation, but, once they get a judgment against the corporation, they can start to haul the corporation president into court every so often, right, to answer for the debts of the corporation. So every six months, you know, they'll get called back into court to explain to the court, you know, what's going on financially with the company, things like that. So that's why you may want to, um, even if the business doesn't have any assets, it might be advantageous to put the 
business through a bankruptcy too, because it will cease all of those collection activities. So that's, that's actually something that we haven't talked about, Justin, which is that the moment that you file a petition in a bankruptcy, it ceases all collection activities. And that's, it doesn't matter if it's in state court, it doesn't matter uh, if it's in federal court, the bankruptcy court issues what's called an automatic stay. And it's basically a, a court order that says, look, this person has filed for bankruptcy protections. They're entitled to the presumption that they're, um, that they're going to receive a discharge at this point. So therefore you are to stay, stop all collection proceedings now, right? Not, not tomorrow, not a week from now, now. Yeah. And if the collector does not abide by that stay, right? They have then violated a federal court order, right? So let's just put it this way. Violating federal court orders is not fun, right? Because no. the, the, the court comes down on you. Yeah. So, so they, they open themselves up to sanctions from the court, uh, you know, being found in contempt of court, things like that. So what, when, when we'll often see this is, uh, let's say that someone's foreclosing on a, a client who's a debtor, right? Um, sorry, not foreclosing, that they're evicting them, right? Yeah. They're evicting them because of unpaid rent, things like that. We file the bankruptcy and they don't stop what they're doing. They just continue. They continue going to housing court and things like that. That's a big no-no. And we okay. can then go after the landlord in federal court. Now, what, what they have to do, right, is the, the, the creditor, in the example that I just gave, that creditor is a landlord, they can file into the bankruptcy court and ask for relief from the stay. So they can say, look, I'm a valid judgment holder. Um, this isn't going to, I'm entitled to the possession of my own property. I'm asking that I be relieved from the stay so I can basically continue to evict this person and retain possession of my home. Um, in a chapter seven, those are always going to get granted. Um, particularly, you'll see it when the uh, mortgage company is trying to evict the people in the home. Okay. Um, they'll they'll always grant those in a seven. But one of another added benefit of a third doing a thirteen, a chapter thirteen, is it's a uh, much longer stay process, and it's much harder for the uh, the mortgage company to get relief from the stay in a chapter thirteen. So the benefit to the thirteen is it stays all collection proceedings even better in the uh, mortgage context, which means if someone's about to lose their house, I almost always file a chapter 13, right? Because it's going to keep them in their house longer, which then gives me leverage to renegotiate their, um, their mortgage, right? Okay. And gives them more time because oftentimes people don't care if they lose their TV, they don't care if they even lose their expensive Mustang, but if they lose their house, yeah. Right. That's it. Game over. Right. You've, you've committed malpractice. If you've taken on a bankruptcy case and they lose their house, you know, like there's this problems, okay. um, especially and, and, if the client thought that they weren't going to. Yeah. And just to go back to, you know, collection activity, I, I yeah. assume that means phone calls as well, because I know that, you know, I know if you, owe, if, if you have creditors, they can, it seems like one of their strategies is just to, is to annoy you into paying or is that, that's, that's just a guess from my, <laughs> <laughs> from my own experience and uh but yeah. not not personal experience but it sounds like uh it sounds like it's 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 no fun owing uh, owing money to folks is that does that include they you get no more phone calls too 
That's true. That's true. Okay. It has to. It stops the phone calls pending the uh, the stay from the case, um, okay. pending relief from the stay. Um, and if they do, so this is what I always advise people about, particularly if they have credit card debt, right? Because if they have credit card debt and they haven't paid in six months, the collectors are going to be calling. I know so because I used to work for a collection law firm. I know what they do. You know? Okay. Like so, that's it, 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 another way that I got into bankruptcy. But they. They'll, they'll call you, like you said, and they, they're basically there to annoy you. Now, the, the laws are far more constrained than you think, right? They can't just, they can't like threaten you uh, with, they can't threaten you with things that they can't do, things like that. They can't call after certain hours. They can't call at like one in the morning. But yeah. anyways, they still call, right? And yeah. they, they make it known and they call your work and they call, they call your grandmother. And before you know it, you're like, oh, this is driving me nuts. So when you do, um, when you do file for bankruptcy, the stay goes into place. It should cease the collection calls. If they continue to call you, they have violated the stay. Okay. And then that has certain uh, penalties. And then your bankruptcy attorney will walk you through, hey, uh, you know, they could even file a motion and ask for attorney's fees associated with it and things like that. So, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Oh, yeah, let, let's, let's, uh, I know you started chapter seven versus 13. But why don't we yeah. go back and, and kind of reset those, the two different, uh, the two different types of bankruptcies and, and, you know, when it's, and maybe some examples of when one is more appropriate than the other, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me just give I'll give a brief overview of what the two processes are, and then um, in doing so, hopefully uh, we'll be able to flesh out what the um, what the benefits of each of them are. So a, a chapter seven is a complete liquidation of your assets, right? And and basically anything that is non-exempt, right? And exempt is a term of art, and we've discussed some of that. There's a homestead, there's, uh, you know, tools of the trade, your, uh, your life insurance, things like that. Um, those are all exempt. Okay. Anything that's not exempt, the trustee who's overseeing the bankruptcy in a chapter seven is going to grab them and is going to sell them. And then once she sells them, she's going to divide them amongst your uh, the people who you owe money to, and the people who you owe money to might be. And this, I'm sorry, this, this yeah. happens like immediately, right? As soon as you file, you you're essentially you 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 enter into an agreement that you hey you uh, I'm going to file for bankruptcy. I know that I know what's coming here. I know the rules, so I know I'm going to lose my expensive you know whatever it is. The expensive non-exempt asset is going to mm-hmm. be you know essentially just right away it's gone. Yeah, yeah, and and. I would love to say that that's how it happens in practice, but usually how this yeah. plays out is, is that the debtor has been hiding something, um, okay. you know, and then it comes out later on <laughs> that actually they do own, uh, they did own a house in Nantucket at some point and it got transferred to someone, you know, uh, but, but it, for the honest debtors, which, which, uh, you know, I, almost always I represent our, our honest, hardworking, good people. Yeah. Um, they, uh, for those folks, they, when they file, um, maybe they'll know that they have a car that's $4,000 over the, uh, the uh, threshold of $15,000. So maybe the car is worth 19,000. Okay. Which yeah. isn't that expensive of a car, right? Most cars are worth 20,000 and up now. Yeah. So let's say that there's $5,000 worth of, um, non-exempt assets there in the car, the debtor has two options. They can either uh, surrender the collateral to uh, surrender the asset to the trustee, which is, I would just call up, 
after the, the 341 hearing, I would call up the trustee and say, hey, look, Madam Trustee, I'd like to, um, we're going to surrender the car. He doesn't want it. So then the, uh, the trustee will sell the $20,000 car. She'll take 15000 out of it because that's non-exempt. I'm sorry, that's, that's exempt. She'll give that 15000 back to the client debtor. Okay. And then she'll take the 5,000 and she'll divide it amongst whoever, whoever the creditors are. So, um, so that's kind of how it works in process. Now, if let's say you don't want to give up the, the $20,000 car, then you got to find money someplace else. You know, maybe they're borrowing money from a relative. Uh, okay. Maybe they're taking money out of their retirement account um, and taking some steep penalties by doing so, you know, so there's, there's some creative ways that you can do it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's generally how it works in a chapter seven. And, and the trustee is going to do that for all the non-exempt assets. So if the house is worth 600,000 and there's no mortgage on it, right? We only can exempt 500,000 of it. That means the trustee can grab a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a substantial amount of money. So you can see how that adds up because half a million dollars in Massachusetts for a house, um, you know, it, it might get you something, but this, the, the property values are pretty high in the state. Um, so, yeah. Can I, just, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it sounds to me, and, and, and again, I know every, everyone's life is, is kind of relative here, but mm-hmm. it sounds like we're generally, are you generally talking about large numbers of debt here? I mean, is there, I mean, I, and again, I know this is, I, I don't want to, I don't want to generalize because I know everyone's situation is different, but right. you know, is, is the, you know, do you, are you filing a bankruptcy for a fifteen thousand dollar debt, or is that just fairly unusual? Where that's probably going to be at least potentially workable by by an individual. I mean, I mean, what's like a what's an average number for you that you're actually going through the process of filing the bankruptcy? Because I mean, I know it's a lot of work. Obviously, you know, you have an you have an attorney. The attorney gets paid, and if you have a way around it, generally speaking, right? I mean, if if you owe someone a hundred thousand dollars and you knew that you could, you know, and you had a home. That where you had six hundred thousand in equity, you know, at that point you probably are, are you probably just better off selling the home and then you know and and paying the debt and and moving on. Or am, am I am I thinking about this wrong? I guess it's it's probably more complex than that. But um, yeah, yeah. You you raise you raise a good point, Justin. And I will say uh, legally, right? You could file for bankruptcy if you have one dollar worth of debt. Right. There's no there's no threshold. Right. There's no required amount of debt that you have. So it's really a per case basis um, as to as to who that works for. Now, fifteen thousand dollars of debt for uh, someone who is on um, Social Security, who works, um, you know, a very, very limited amount. That might be a lot of money. Or if they're on a fixed income and they're retired, um, I would say Usually the amounts of debts that I fire, uh, file, I can't recall filing for less than twenty or $25,000 okay. worth of debt. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not like it's got to be 100 or something. There's yep. plenty of people who, um, who file who have less debt than that. Uh, but generally, it's, it's, in my experience, it's been when people have more debt than they do for an annual income, right? Okay. Um, because that's pretty, that would be pretty hard to pay back. Um, now the, where it gets complicated, um, is what you pointed out. They have to make a cost benefit analysis of, do I try to pay this 
do I try to pay this creditor back, right? And maybe I can settle their account for like 70% of the account. Well, if you owe them $20,000 and you're settling it for 70,000, that's still 14,000, right? Yeah. A bankruptcy, a chapter seven bankruptcy to have me do it is generally going to be under 2000. So, okay. so someone might make a cost benefit as to, hey, I can pay Sean 2000 and these creditors get nothing, or I can try to enter into a payment plan that, you know, maybe I'll pay six months worth of, but, and then if I default on it, they're going to come after me and then they'll try to attach my wages, you know? So like that, a lot of times that's a frank conversation I have to have with people that, Hey, look, you know, you're not going to get out of this debt that I know that you want to pay this off, but yeah, just file, just get it, get it. You're going to get a clean start. Uh, if you just file now, it's all going to go away. You're going to pay me $2,000. Your creditors aren't going to get any of it and you get a fresh start. All right. Your credit's in the tank for seven years or for 10 years. It's going to be in the tank anyways, because you haven't paid your credit cards in two years, you know? So yeah. it's, it's for, for someone like that, they just need a little gentle push to understand that, Hey, look, that's why the protections are here. Why not take advantage of them? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, again, hey, we're, t- we're talking with Sean Kelly uh, from Marcotte Law Firm in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, I do want to make sure I give out because we're pre-recording. I want to make sure I give out your number. Uh, number there is 978-458-1229, uh, or you can reach him at marcottelawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E lawfirm.com. All right. We have a few more minutes uh, before the break. Now, do, do you, and this is just one of those, I'm kind of a skeptic. And, and so this, this may, it's, it's, I know you maybe not don't do this specifically, but um, when, when folks are in debt, you know, we always hear the commercials for, for, for the debt relief stuff. Uh, do you have a, a general opinion on those companies? And I, I don't, you know, you don't have to throw anyone under the bus if you don't want to, but um, is that something that, that you would, you know, is, is that your competition? Is that something that you would want to talk to a bankruptcy attorney about sort of first and is it, yeah. you know, are, is it better or worse or do you do different types of things? I'm just, because, I mean, we all hear those commercials. So right. while I have you, I, I have to ask. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. If, if credit cards are bad for preying on people, uh, debt relief companies are far worse. Um, yep. and okay. that, that's, that's my, uh, unbiased, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Totally unbiased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they, I, here's, here's what people don't realize. They think that what they're doing is that they're consolidating their debt, right? They think that what they're doing is by engaging with a debt relief company, they think that they are, um, uh, combining all of their debt into one loan, right? And that that loan is paying paying other things off. That That's completely different, right? That's, okay. that's, that's taking out a loan uh, to pay back your other creditors. Okay. What a debt, what a, in my experience, what debt consolidation companies do is they take your financial statement, they look at what you can pay monthly, they say, uh, Mr. Debtor, you can pay uh, $200 a month. So what we will do, and you have four different credit cards, we will call up uh, the credit card company that you are uh, furthest in default on, uh, so therefore is most likely to sue you. We will call them up and we will negotiate a payment plan with them. And we will offer them to pay them $100 a month out of your 200. And of that $200 a month that you will pay us, um, we'll pay the other creditors $50, uh, $50 a month. 
Okay, so that's 150. And of that $200, the other 50, that goes to us, the debt relief company. Yeah. So the problem with it is that you're paying someone else to pay your debts for you, right? And okay. what people don't realize is, is yeah, I that, guess I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it, 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 what people don't realize is, is that they're, 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 they're doing a service, right? They're negotiating a settlement for you, I guess, or a payment plan, but it doesn't mean that the creditor has to buy into it, right? They can right. still sue you. They can still try to attach your wages. Like unless, in, unless they're satisfied with the payment plan that you're offering, which yeah the vast majority of people who are calling debt relief companies can't afford to pay more than a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. You know, the creditor's not going to want that. That's chump change to them, you know? So they, they'll take your payments and maybe they'll hold off for a year. Maybe they'll hold off for a couple of years, but then you'll start to miss payments because everything's getting tougher. And during that time, it's still accruing interest to 26%. So it's, you can see that's that's my problem with it. It's oh, okay. it's adding another layer to it that I don't think is is particularly helpful, and I, I have problems with the marketing tactics and so far that you know they're I feel like they're geared towards elderly populations and people folks who don't necessarily understand exactly what they're buying into. Um, so I, my the, my general rule is that they are not uh, that they are not a good avenue. Um, if you if you want to enter into a, a, a payment plan with your creditor, I would say contact a consumer bankruptcy attorney or contact a, a consumer rights attorney like ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we'll be honest with you that, hey, look, maybe we can get you on a lump sum. Maybe you can borrow money from someone. We can get you to pay it back. Or I'll say, look, it doesn't matter how good we are. You're not going to be able to pay this back. Let's rip the bandaid off. File for bankruptcy now. Let's do it. OK. Right? Yeah, that was always sort of my sense of it. I, I kind of felt like anyone who advertises that much can't, can't be can't be that great <laughs> right. of a product. But anyway, right, right, right. Uh, all right, we're just about up against the break here. So, uh, all right, hey, we're talking with Sean Kelly from the Marcotte Law Firm in Lowell. Uh, they're at MarcotteLawFirm.com, and you can reach him at 978-458-1229. If you have questions for us, again, we are pre-recorded today. Uh, so you can shoot us an email, uh, questions at McNamaraonmoney.com is that phone number, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, and I am alongside Sean Kelly of the Marcotte Law Firm in Lowell. And we're talking bankruptcy today, and we've covered uh, most of it. And uh, I have a few other questions here, but... Uh, if you have any questions for Sean, again, we are pre-recording today. Uh, his phone number is 978-458-1229. Uh, he's at marcottelawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E and then lawfirm.com. Uh, all right, Sean. So we have uh, 28 minutes to go here. Last segment. And um, so let me see what else I have. Is there anything that, that you, you, know, you think I should ask? I'll give you a chance there. I know obviously you're the expert and uh, I'm sure you, you, know, you, you see a bunch of different types of folks and I know they, they are all ask, asking you questions. So is there something that you can think of that I haven't asked you that you, that you think people might wanna know out there? 
Yeah, I think um, if you're okay with it, Justin, I think I'll, I'll spend some more time with the chapter 13 um, yeah. okay. as to what the added benefits of that are. Um, and and then, that's, that's the repayment plan. Is that sort of the correct. best way to, uh, yeah, to, to put that? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, I, I think there's also some, um, if we can spend some time on potential problems and pitfalls uh, that you'll want to avoid if you do file. Uh, okay. Right. So um, regarding the, the 13, uh, you know, we've talked about it as a repayment plan. It's sometimes called like the, the wage earners um, bankruptcy. And the, the idea is, is that uh, it's required for folks who make above a certain amount. And that's done through the means test. Now, if you make below that amount, you can still theoretically file for chapter 13. However, oftentimes people don't want to. Um, particularly if they don't have a bunch of assets. Um, the only time that I might suggest that you file for chapter 13 if you're below the means test is if, um, if you have a lot of assets that are not exempt um, and you wanna keep those. Because one of, the, one of the, the abilities in a chapter 13 plan is you, be, you get to keep all your stuff. So unlike in chapter seven, where they take all your stuff, right? You're not yep. exempt assets. You get to keep everything in a 13. However, you got to pay, you got to pay back its value. So there are, um, there's, there's four kind of pillars and requirements to a chapter 13. So in a chapter 13, you file your petition. You say, I'm uh, Miss Debtor. I'm filing, uh, here's all my creditors. Here's all my uh, assets. Here's my non-exempt assets. And, and you file that, that whole thing, which is in the form of a petition. You then get your 341 date, just like you do in a chapter seven. Um, and then after the 341, you'll have to file uh, uh, a plan, right? You'll, you'll essentially have to file a re repayment plan and you file to have it confirmed. And the confirming is, is the process of the court putting their rubber stamp on it saying, we agree with this, uh, this plan and we think that this is acceptable under the rules and that this is acceptable uh, given the, uh, the debtor's financial situation. So a repayment plan has to essentially have uh, meet four rules. It's, it's a very, it's, it can be complicated uh, from time to time. There's, there's, there's four things that a plan has to meet. The first is, is the plan has to pay back all secured debts in full, okay? And I'll get okay. into what a secured debt is in a second. Um, yep. uh, and then it also has to pay back all priority debts, okay? And priority debt is a, is a term of art that the bankrupt, bankruptcy court uses. And then the plan also has to pay all unsecured creditors, what they would have received had you filed for a seven, okay? So okay. They have to they they have to receive what they would have filed it, what they would have received if you filed under a seven. And then lastly, you have to pay your whole disposable income, and your disposable income is calculated through the uh, the process that we discussed with the means test. Yeah. Um, you get to take what all your expenses are. Um, uh, and you get to list certain certain expenses. Uh, you take what your income is for the past six months, and then you take what your uh, what your expenses are. Some of which we know, you know, that would be uh, you know, cost of housing, um, 
things like that, groceries, things like that. And then we figure out what your disposable income is. And then, so that disposable income has to be, all of your disposable income has to be paid all of, to all of your creditors for three to five years. Okay. That's the longest that a payment plan can, it can last under chapter 13. So again, okay. how this ends up playing out in practice, that's, that's a really complicated way of saying in a chapter 13, Generally, you're going to pay back a fraction of the debts that you owe across three to five years, and you get to keep your house. Okay. Okay. So you, so that's that's the benefit to it, right? You get to keep your house, and you theoretically uh, might get to uh, you you'll get to keep your car too, um, even if it's underwater. Um, but w- when I was talking about secured debts before, so secured debts, um, just so all your listeners know, I'm sure they're very savvy, but that would be. Um, anything that has a uh, uh, that's secured by collateral, so that would be a car, uh, yeah. a, a car loan, or a uh, a mortgage on a house. Um, priority debts are tax debts, right? Tax debts and child support obligations. So the uh, the secured loans and the priority debts, so that's child support and tax debts, all have to be paid back in full. The unsecured creditors, so that would be your medical debts, your um, your um, credit card debts, those don't have to get paid back in full. And actually, and often they don't get paid back much at all. Um, so, okay. so that's the benefit to a 13 plan. If you have a lot of tax debt, right? If you have a lot of tax debt, that's not going to get discharged because there's only there's a limited amount of times that tax debt, tax debt goes away under chapter seven. You got to figure out a way to pay back. So oftentimes we'll do that through uh, chapter 13. Um, so, uh, people who have high tax debts, that's usually what I'm suggesting that we do. Uh, okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I know one of the things, right. So can you just list the, yeah. right. So the, this, the debt that you can't get out of, which is, you know, tax debt, what yeah. was it? Alimony payments. So the, I mean, what, what's the list of stuff that you, that, I mean, essentially doesn't go away in, in either type of bankruptcy. Is that, is that accurate? I was, you know, I just did a, a bit of reading before we started yeah. here, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there are certain debts. So the big ones and the ones that we hear about all the time, right, are uh, tax debts, right? Yep. Tax debts, um, uh, these are by right. So no one has to do anything. The federal government doesn't have to file a claim or anything for this. These yep. just cannot be discharged in bankruptcy, okay? And, and so that is uh, child support. Um, uh, so domestic support, right? Domestic support, um, taxes, most taxes. I, I can get into when taxes can be discharged if you want. But in the last, the last big one, student loans, right? right. So student is that, loans. Is that just federal be. student loans or also private? That's all student loans. There, okay. it, there's a slight exception for loans that are related to educational costs, right? And those are usually, uh, you'll see people in the professional context. Um, I don't know if when you got your, uh, your license, right? Sometimes people need a little extra money after they graduate to be able to take their course when they're not working. It's very common for people who are attorneys or going to medical or just graduated from medical school. They yep. need an extra loan so they can basically survive uh, until they take their licensure uh, right. exam. Yep. And so those type of loans, those those might be dischargeable, but your average run of the mill, you know, you went to the University of New Hampshire, you went to Syracuse University, um, any loans that you get from there, federal or private, are not going to be dischargeable. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. But and and actually, they could be discharged. But there's an exception to every rule. I'm mean, oh, sure. Law, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have. Like, to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it, they they can be discharged, but it's a, it's a long and complicated process that is very heavy on the debtor. Right. The debtor has to actively do something to get their student loans discharged, and it happens in rare, 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 rare circumstances uh, where the debtor can essentially show that they have an undue burden. Um, and it's usually caused by, um, you know, a disability or something that they didn't have um, when they took out the loan, right? So maybe they're paralyzed or something and can no longer work. So therefore, they can't repay back this loan. Um, so, but those are those are very rare uh, circumstances. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just to circle back to the so the chapter yeah. thirteen. I mean, it, it it sounds like. I mean, it it doesn't sound. I guess it doesn't sound like a loophole, but. If you're so you're you're most you're basically if you have a bunch of debt that that won't be forgiven that's that's the way you go about it but why it it sounds like it should be relatively common if you're just getting if you're just getting rid of credit cards is that am I not am I not understanding that right where you're you know you you well you're gonna have to pay back all these debts these debts regardless and so you just go to court and say hey I can't afford everything so let's get rid of the stuff that's essentially unsecured is that is that an accurate way to put it. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And that's the goal is to try to get rid of that unsecured debt while having them make payments on the things that count, that they're not going to get discharged anyways. So that is the tax debt. Um, And sometimes the IRS um, will will enter into uh, payment agreements when they see it's a 13, things like that. So it's like it kind of brings the benefit to a 13 is it brings everyone to the table. And it forces the mortgage company uh, to maybe renegotiate, um, renegotiate the terms of the mortgage, things like that. So, yeah, that's really the benefit you get. You're going to get ideally if if the numbers work right, we'll get a lot of your unsecured debt uh, forgiven and we'll pay back your secured and priority debt, which you're going to have to pay back anyways under a seven. So why not give you three to five years paying it back? Um, and okay, maybe your credit card gets, you know, a, a few dollars out of it, but they're getting paid back, what, 10, maybe 10% of what they're actually owed. Um, and you get the benefit of paying it over three years and they can't attach your wages, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's, it can be a good, it can be a good gig for people. Um, you just got to have the right income to do it. And that's, if you don't, if you don't have the right income, right. Um, and that 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 right income that, that was the what was the threshold was one hundred and forty thousand for a family of four I think you said I think you mentioned that. I don't know if you have those off the top of your head there but yeah so yeah yeah essentially if you're, if you're yeah. over that then you're you're ineligible and if you're or is that how it works well you're eligible no you're always eligible for a chapter thirteen as long as you make some sort okay. of, some sort of income okay. um, but. It, it just means that you're not eligible for a chapter seven. So you can't completely discharge everything. So oh, they're going to make you enter into a chapter 13. So the problem is with a 13 is if you make a big, a big fat income, right? Like if you, if you're on the higher income threshold, yeah. you may end up paying back all of your unsecured debt just because your disposable income is so high. Right. Uh, you may end up paying back all of that. So, because again, the calculation is not just the value of your assets, right? It's also what you have to pay all of your disposable income. So if you have a high monthly income and you don't have a lot of expenses um, that, that, that fall into it, you're going to have a high disposable income, which means you may end up paying back these creditors 100% of what they're owed. But again, the benefit to it is 
the creditor doesn't have a say in it. You get three to five years. So okay. it's like, it's a pretty good plan because most creditors aren't going to give you five years to pay off their debt. Right. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah I guess you're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they want it now. They don't, they don't want to, they're not really interested in the payment plan necessarily. Yeah. Okay. And they're going to be racing to record liens on your house. Uh, you know, it's like they're, it's, it becomes a rat race for, for all the creditors to try to grab onto whatever they can for you. So it's like, if you don't do the bankruptcy, you're not entitled to the protections of it, which means they can do whatever they want. They can try to attach to your bank account. They can try to put a lien on your boat. They can try to put a lien on your house. You know, there's a variety of things they can do. Okay. And just briefly on the expenses, because yeah. I, you know, as a financial, as financial planners, we're, we're, we're doing expenses all the time. So uh, is it, is it your actual expenses, right? So, I mean, is it, or, or is it, is it like a, a geographically adjusted version of, of what expenses for housing should be, or how, how is that calculated? I mean, I imagine they, they take your mortgage payment into account, but Right. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're just living an expensive lifestyle, are you are, are you sort of getting away with something or how does that work? Yeah, I yeah someone's right, looking, right. taking it, taking a kind of a, a look at that and making sure everything's on the up and up. Right, right. No, that's a, that's a that's a really good point. And uh, I, I think you're uh, you'd be quite the bankruptcy attorney, Justin. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the you're right. Some of them are fixed and some of them are are, are actual expenses. Right. So then the, the fixed amounts that that they'll take into account is personal products, groceries. So okay. that's a nationally set number that changes from year to year. So the okay. idea is if I spend $500 uh, on groceries at Market Basket, you know, uh, someone in Florida might not have those same expenses, but we, we can only deduct the same amount nonetheless. Yeah. And then there's local expenses, right? And that will be like Middlesex County or like Eastern Massachusetts and, that will be for uh, car and rental expenses. Okay. Okay. And then there's actual expenses that you can actually deduct your uh, your actual expenses, and that would be um, uh, required retirement payments, um, health insurance, child like, care, like, like a pension, like a pension payment or something like that. Right. We're right. Right. We're right. Right. Yep. Um, in amounts that you're contractually obligated to pay. So this is where the bankruptcy code kind of gets funny, right? Because someone who makes uh, $300,000 a year could have a very low disposable income if let's say they had three different properties, right? Because I just said contractually obligated uh, expenses that the debtor is required to pay. So that could be a mortgage payment. So in that situation, it's not the national standard, it's what the debtor has. Yeah. So if you own a property in Nantucket, you own a property in Lowell, and you own a property in the Berkshires, you're going to have a lot of expenses going out the window directly towards maintaining those, those properties contractually if you have mortgages on them. So someone like that is actually going to have a very low disposable income for purposes of the means test and how the bankruptcy looks at it. So in that way, oh. it's kind of a little unfair, like someone who's got a very high income <laughs> would have yeah. a very little amount just because they, they were fortunate enough to buy multiple properties that happen to have liens on them. But I, I don't think it happens all that much. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Yeah, and there's always a there's always a few loopholes in, in codes exactly. for, for wealthy folks saying, you know, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the way it works. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, again, we're talking uh, again. We're actually have another, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so. All right. So I'm uh, talking with Sean Kelly uh, of Marcotte Law Firm about bankruptcy. Again, we're pre-recording. So uh, no live calls today. But if you want to reach Sean, you can reach him at 978-458-1229 uh, or MarcotteLawFirm.com. Marcotte, M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E. All right. So. Uh, again, obviously, um, 
you've, you've sort of made the case for bankruptcy and where, where it does make sense for a lot of folks in a lot of cases. Um, downsides, obviously, let's, let's go over them. I know you've touched briefly on them. So, you know, your, your credit score will be affected in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in either case. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll ask for a little more detail on that. And then I believe a bankruptcy is also a public record. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it is. Um, so regarding the public record aspect of it, okay, like we discussed at the beginning of this, the bankruptcy court is a federal court, right? It's, uh, it's, it's no different than uh, Lowell District Court, right? It's, it's a public entity that uh, it just happens to be run by the federal government as opposed to the uh, Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, and, and because it's a public entity, um, everything that they do is public and they're, they're bound by, uh, you know, Freedom of Information Act requests, things like that. But even more so than that, you can just go down to the clerk's office and I can say, can you pull the file on Sean Kelly? I think he filed for bankruptcy on this date. Or if you're savvy enough and you're a bankruptcy attorney, I can just look it up, right? And I could do a search by name. So yeah, that, that is a bit of a concern, right? Because that, that is public. Now, are there, there are certain aspects of it that are not public. And that okay. would be uh, your social security number, right? Um, <laughs> If there's like any financial statements that are coming from a divorce or something like that, they'll have to be redacted. Um, but but the petition forms themselves, right? The that disclose what your assets are, what your income is, um, what you're claiming as exemptions, um, any transfers that you've made, you know, in the last couple of years. All of those are public, unfortunately. Um, the yeah. the it's so yeah it's there and it's it's going to be online uh, for a little bit now it's not easy to find and you got to have certain access to it but yeah it's public record so so that that is that's a good point that that is a downside to this um but the reality of it is is if a debtor if a creditor sues you in Lowell district court you know there's that's public too so it's you know, oh, it's public okay. either the bankruptcy or the fact that American Express is suing you for $100,000 is public somewhere too. So it's, um, okay. you know, it, it is what it is. Um, the the other aspect that you had asked, uh, remind me again, Justin, there was a first, uh, first credit scores. Yeah, I mean, credit what's, scores. what's I mean, we, we talk about credit scores, yeah. obviously, because, yeah. you know, we're, everyone's we're, we're uh, you know, a home ownership type mm -hmm. of a society. And, and so obviously, they're, they're fairly important. So what's, uh, what's the situation there? So yeah, the, filing for bankruptcy is going to hurt your credit score. There's no yeah. way around that. It's, it's, it absolutely is going to. Um, and the first question is, well, how long is it on my credit? Um, a, a chapter seven is on for 10 years. Okay. A okay. chapter 13 is on for seven years. Um, okay. So another be benefit to doing the chapter uh, 13, you'll rebuild your credit sooner. Um, the, but what I would say is a mispayment generally is on your, uh, a mispayment is going to be on your credit report anyways for 10 years, you know, like, so there's, and by the time people are coming to me and talking to me, their credit's already pretty much in the tank, you know, and if it's yeah. someone who is making $100,000 a year and they have $40,000 worth of debt and, you know, they were just out of a job because they were forlorn for three months, I'll be having a discussion with them as to, hey, look, this probably isn't your best option filing for bankruptcy. Like, let's just, let's talk to the creditors and I'll tell them to stop contacting you and we'll try to negotiate something. So um, as someone like that, 
you know, I it, particularly maybe if they want to buy a house in the next couple of years, you know, I'll, I'll advise them to, hey, let's not do the bankruptcy now. And let's see if you can get on a payment plan and make timely payments. Um, but most lenders, most lenders will still lend to people, even if they filed for bankruptcy. Um, now that change, that's going to change uh, depending the amount and how much collateral there is involved and things like that. And obviously, if you filed for bankruptcy rates, or if you filed for bankruptcy recently, uh, the rates that they give you are going to be atrocious. But you got to start somewhere, right? Right. And, and, and I guess if you think about it, if, if you're able to save your home and, and or if you're on a three to five year payment plan, I imagine, you know, that it's, it's are we on from the start of, of, a, of a chapter 13 and therefore by the end of your payment plan, you may only have a few more years to go before you're kind of out of the woods with regards to credit or is it from the end? Yeah, no, you got it. It's from the date of filing. So okay. uh, so from the date that you filed. So if you filed in January of 2021 and your payment plan isn't approved until uh, June of 2021, you're already six months into the seven year waiting period that you have to wait till it's off. So, okay. Um, so yeah, it's not, so you could wrap up your five years and then just wait another year and then you're good, you know? And hopefully at that point, uh, most places will see that you've made timely payments to the trustee and yep. to your creditors under the 13. So in a way you're building your credit that way. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, one other question. I mean, I, I know, you know, just, just in doing some reading, um, I, I know that you can attempt to file a, for a bankruptcy. So an attorney is not required, is that correct? Uh, to file a bankruptcy? No, yeah. no, you can, you can file yeah. uh, what we would call pro se, which means that you're filing without uh, legal counsel representing you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's, you know, even the, I, I find the financial media to be relatively kind of have a, a DIY bent. Maybe that's just more in the, in the financial planning space, but yeah. I think both articles I read said you can do this without an attorney, but you probably don't want to. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty complex. <laughs> Is that right? so I don't mean to do it a, a commercial for you, but I was yeah. just doing a little reading and they're saying it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's very, it's very, the bankruptcy code is very complicated and you need to have someone who's seen multiple cases to kind of figure it out. Because the, the reality of it is, is like, you know, yeah, I could read how to build a house, but if I actually tried to do it, it's going to set on fire in a week, you know, yeah. like it's so it, it's just, I think um, if you're going to do it, do it right, uh, hire an attorney. And if you can't afford an attorney, there, there are plenty of organizations within the state that have pro bono attorneys and, um, um, uh, for, for folks who are lower income and meet a, a certain threshold who, uh, who might be able to offer those services. Um, so at, at minimum, right, before you file, you should at least be, if, if, you, if you think that you can't swing, you know, a couple thousand dollars for a chapter seven or three to four thousand dollars for a chapter 13 to hire a private attorney, then, you know, you should be calling some of these pro bono uh, entities to see if they can uh, represent you. Okay. Is the, is the, is the, like, let's, are those numbers that you just gave us there, are those relatively uniform across say the state or does it, does it, you know, depend? I mean, I, I know that in the estate yeah. planning arena, you, you know, some law, you know, there's a, there's a fairly wide range of what you may pay for an estate plan. And again, that's, I know there's different levels of complexity, but is that a relatively stable number? I know every firm will be a little bit different, but. Yeah, I, th I, I think so. Um, probably for a chapter seven, you'll see anywhere between, uh, uh, 13, probably the lowest I've seen in the state is 1400 between 1400 and 2500 2500 okay. would be for a very complicated uh, chapter seven where there were 
uh, high threats of people fi filing adversary complaints and things like that, or that, you know, draw, that would draw a lot of attention to it. For it, it, chapter 13, um, you know, I would say anywhere probably between 3,000 and 4,500, I would say 5,000 would be on the high end in the state. But again, it would depend on the complexity of it and, and things like that. And, and there's also, so that would just be the attorney fee. Um, my firm loops the, uh, the filing fee into it. There is a somewhat large filing fee uh, with the uh, bankruptcy court. It's $337, right? Okay. Maybe $338, I'm forgetting. It recently changed. It used to be $335. But um, so, you know, that's that's the reality of it. And the, the, generally, the, the debtor has to pay that filing fee when they file unless they can show that they can't afford to pay it or if they need monthly installments, sometimes the, the court will allow them to do so. But that's an additional fee that gets tacked onto it too. Okay, terrific. Well, I, we just have a couple of minutes. Is there anything else you wanted to, uh, to tell the listeners or any, or any advice you have for anybody out there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's a, there's a few areas that, that we didn't touch um, that people should be weary about it. But the, the, short, the short answer is, is you don't have to be weary about filing for bankruptcy as long as you're honest, right? If you're okay. honest with your attorney uh, and you're honest with the trustee, there's really nothing bad that can happen. The worst that you're going to lose out of it, you might lose um, an asset or something um, and it might be sold to sell your creditors. But if you're honest, right? If you're honest with your attorney, you're gonna know that that piece of property is gonna get sold beforehand anyways, because your attorney's gonna have that discussion with you before you actually file. The worst thing you can do is to try to hide an asset and think that you're smarter than your attorney is and smarter than that trustee is. Because what they do, what the trustee will do is they'll, they'll look into you and before you know it, you know, they, they're calling people in to, um, or they're subpoenaing banks and stuff to find out that, hey, those, that $5,000 a month that you were sending to your loved one, uh, it was pretty easy to trace, right? It's yeah. pretty easy to trace <laughs> that, you know, in the six months prior to bankruptcy, you were sending, it's always round numbers too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You're going to get away with the crime, like do, do an odd <laughs> number that looks like something besides it, but it's always like 5,000 to someone else. So yeah. Yeah. So if you're honest with your attorney, the process is not, there's no surprises, you know what's coming. Um, where the bankruptcy process can be uh, problematic is when uh, the debtor isn't completely honest with everyone. Um, okay. And that, 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 that can cause some problems. But you know, we, we deal with that sometimes because usually it's, it's not that someone's intentionally lying or something. It's maybe they forgot about it or, uh, you know, they forgot that uh, they put something in their wife's name or, and it was an innocent decision and, you know, and they just forgot about it and then we deal with it. But um, it's, it's, it's a good practice. And the, the, again, yeah. I can't stress this enough, Justin, the, the benefit to doing this work is at the end of the process, 99% uh, of the time, the client is just relieved and they're just elated that the, the process is over with and they can move on with their life. And that's a, that's a cool feeling. That's a, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a good thing. All right. Well, that's a great place to end it. We're up against it anyway. We've been talking with Sean Kelly from the Marcotte Law Firm. Uh, if you want to reach him directly, give him a call. 978-458-1229 is the number or marcottelawfirm.com. And we got to go. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Justin.